welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Today, I want to talk about accomplishing great things. Think about this for just a moment. Individuals who accomplish great things are willing to step into uncertainty rather than sitting back and doing nothing. Most people prefer certainty because their fear is more significant than their faith. But people who are open to uncertainty not only walk on the moon, but they walk on water too. The title of the podcast is The Necessity and Danger of Wise Risk-Taking. Now, perhaps you're going to say, well, I'm not planning on walking on the moon anytime soon, and water walking is definitely out of the question. And maybe you don't have great things in view here, and that's fine. I do want you to think about that, though. Everything that you enjoy, the benefits of living on Earth, maybe like a mobile phone, a television, electricity, an automobile, whatever that thing is, somebody was willing to embrace uncertainty and to step into that uncertainty in order to create something wonderful. And that's how it works. But many of us don't want to step in uncertainty because fear drives us more than faith. Now, perhaps you're saying, well, I don't feel rather creative as though I'm going to come up with the next best thing. Well, let's bring it down to our level where most of us live. What is that thing that is out in front of you that you are afraid of stepping into? Perhaps you have relational conflict in your life. Most of us do, and I dare say that virtually, well, I would say the majority of the people that come to our ministry are in some kind of relational conflict, which means there are decisions that they have to make. Are you willing to step in uncertainty, not knowing how the outcome is going to come out for you? Well, if you're going to resolve your conflict well, you will have to do what the great minds and the great individuals in history have done who have done great things. And so whether it's walking on the moon or resolving relational conflict, you have to be willing to step into uncertainty rather than sitting back and doing nothing or maybe sitting back and doing it in your own self-reliant, self-sufficient ways. And so if you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go to our website and look for the necessity of and danger, I'm sorry, the necessity and danger of wise risk taking. And if you want to talk to me about it, you are more than welcome to do that. We are set up to engage you, and so you can go on our free community forums and ask whatever the question is that is on your mind, whether it's about this idea of sitting back in your self-reliance, in your comfort zone, or, or something else that's going on in your life. Let us serve you, and we'd be glad to do that. If you are a supporting member of our ministry, thank you for doing that. 
And I want you to go on our private forum and you can ask your question there. There's a one of the forums in the private section says talk directly to Rick and his team. The reason we have that there is so that nobody else will chime in. You will only be talking to me and our team alone. And so you can ask your question and somebody from our team will respond to you. And so if you are a supporting member, you are welcome to do that. If you want to share this podcast, meaning, well, you can share the podcast, the audio, and you can also share the article, either one of them. But if you want to share the article, just go to our website, The Necessity and Danger of Wise Risk Taking, and you can copy and paste the URL in a text or an email, and you can give it to someone, or you can print off this article if you wish Let me get into it. I want to tell you about a man who understood the necessity and danger of wise risk-taking. It was a dark and stormy night. One of the best intros to any kind of fiction that you would ever want to read. Except for in this case, it wasn't fiction, and it is a true story in that it was a dark and a stormy night. The winds were howling and your faith was waning. As you looked out across the waters, you saw this figure coming toward you. You barely recognized him when he calls you to go to him. You couldn't believe it. And so you respond, you want me to come to you? Now here's the most important question. Not that one, but the next one. The next question is, is that you, Lord? Because the truth is you want to make sure that if you are are about to take, well, risk-taking, as I said, the necessity and danger of wise risk-taking, and it's important that we understand that modifier there, it must be wise risk-taking, and if it is wise, then you want to ask this question, is that you, Lord? You gots to know. And then he utters one monosyllabic word, come. That's all he says in response to your question. Now, quite frankly, that is not enough information for what he's asking you to do. He wants you to do something that is way beyond your ability to accomplish. And it surpasses all human reasoning. Come. That's it. No email, no fancy lettering in the sky, no more conversation. Come. God has spoken. There is only one question for you to answer. Will you obey him? Now, your friends were in the boat with you, and they were doing their best to egg you on. They knew it would not take much for you to kick into your impulsive gear and jump out as though you could walk on water. But this time, your faith was not in your impulsiveness. You knew your faith had to be in something else, something better, something stronger, something more sure. In this case, your faith had to be in someone else, not yourself. And so you held your breath, you squinted your eyes, and did the impossible. You stepped out of the boat. 
Then the unthinkable happened. You did what no other person has ever done other than the one who was asking you to get out of the boat. You were walking on water toward your master. Feeling pretty good about the situation, you began to lose focus in that moment of wrongly focused faith. You started to sink. But in an instant, you regained your sensibilities and did the only thing you knew to do in a crisis. You yelled, Lord, save me. Now, I do think it's instructive here, and I tell people this often when we talk about decision-making. People will make their decision because God was in it, and perhaps he was. Maybe most of the time he was in it, but this is something that you need to know Just because God was in it, just because God was calling you, just because you stepped out in faith, it doesn't mean you will never take on water. In fact, I think most of the time after you make a decision, some point after that, there will be a challenge to your faith. And that's exactly what happened here on that dark and stormy night. And so you yell out, Lord, save me. And at that moment, your master reached out his hand and pulled you back up on top of the water. From there, you and your master walk to the boat and you board. Your friends are sitting there and they're stunned. Now let's index forward about, let's say, 30 years You're walking alongside the seashore where you had stepped on top of that sea three decades earlier. You look out upon those restless waters and a a tear came to your eye as you reflected on that eventful night when you demonstrated impossible faith with your Savior. As you were reflecting on that dark and stormy night where your life changed, a few children saw you from a nearby village. They came running toward you, yelling, Mr. Peter, Mr. Peter, will you tell us that story again? That story that Grandpa told us many times before about the time you walked on water with Jesus. Will you tell us, Mr. Peter? You found a nearby rock to sit on and went back to the beginning, telling the story about that transformative night when you took a risk. In faith, you stepped into the uncertainty because you understood the necessity and danger of wise risk-taking. What if we made a few practical applications from Peter's night out with Jesus? What were some of the things that he had to work through to have such a transformative experience with the Lord? I want to share with you a few things that come to mind. Here are a few things that both you and I have to work on as we are called to have impossible faith, as we are called to have transformative moments with God, as we are called to get out of our boat and do those wonderful things that you can only do if you are willing to step into uncertainty rather than sitting back and doing nothing. The first thing that comes to mind is this idea of self-sufficiency. One of the more common struggles that we have in our walk with Christ is the tension between our own perceived self-reliance and faith in Christ. 
I say perceived because the truth is no one is truly self-sufficient. Relying on ourselves is a mirage that we pretend exist. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we are not only in control of our world, but that we can accomplish what we set our minds to do. We love thinking about our ways uh, ourselves that way. This attitude is the humanistic spirit that has bled into our religion. And if we're not careful, we can gradually grow toward more faith in ourselves than in God. And this is one of the reasons, as I was saying earlier, that if you tend toward self-reliance and you have relational conflict, you will have more faith in yourself. Therefore, you will try to resolve conflict your way. And guess what will be driving the train? Fear will, and you will not resolve it well. This sin that I'm talking about is called self-sufficiency, and it is prevalent in our churches. But if you raise the lid on self-sufficiency and look underneath it, underneath this desire to rely on ourselves, you will see a fearful desire to be in control. And so as we dig a little deeper in this podcast, a few things that come to mind as you think about Peter's night out with Jesus, some of the things that he had to conquer in his own soul, well, the obvious one is self-sufficiency. But as you look under the lid of self-sufficiency, you'll see other things. You see, Peter was on a boat, and he was quite comfortable and feeling in control. I just mentioned two of the things that are under the hood of self-sufficiency. Comfortable and control. Two sin issues always associated with self-sufficiency. A self-sufficient person loves to be in control. In fact, you have to be in control if you're going to be self-reliant. Because what you're want, wanting to do is you want to keep yourself in your comfort zone. You could look at Peter's boat that night. You could call it SS for self-sufficiency. It was comfortable and he was in control. And that's exactly what self-sufficiency will do. And these three sins, self-reliance, control, and comfort, do work together. And as long as nothing interferes with these idols, the individual believes that everything will be okay in their tightly controlled universe. From the outside looking in, it could appear as though this kind of person is omnicompetent, having it all together, and seemingly it seems that way. There is nothing they cannot do. This illusion is real, as long as they can keep things within their universe, universe managed. But here's the problem. You call yourself a Christian and, well, you serve the Lord God Almighty and he is a jealous God. And the person who struggles with these sins like self-sufficiency and control and comfort is a practicing idolater. This self-reliant posture motivates God to come alongside you and challenge your faith in yourself and begin a process of teaching you to be suspicious of yourself while placing biblical faith in Christ. And so let me make it personal. God in his mercy will put you in spots where you cannot control the circumstances and you have no choice but to cry out to him for help as you're pleading with him 
there's two things that you have to be doing simultaneously following Paul's model in Ephesians 4, put off and put on what you're putting on. You are pleading with him to help. But what you are putting off, you are repenting of these false gods of self-reliance, comfort, and control. And so a few things that come to mind to make this practical regarding Peter's night out with Jesus. He had to work on his self-sufficiency but you just can't put off self-sufficiency because it's motivated by other things. And so we, we lift up the lid and we look underneath and we see these other false idols of comfort and control. Peter's boat provided him with the ability to rest in his self-sufficiency. He was comfortable. He was safe. He was in control. But he was not exercising faith in God and so the Lord in his mercy to help him to see the fallacy of false assurance, the Savior called him out literally. Jesus had bigger plans for Peter on that dark and stormy night. And God has bigger plans for you too, which he will only accomplish by helping you to relinquish the hold that your ways has on you while embracing his way. Here's the big question. Are you willing to exchange your understanding and enjoyment of what you believe the right way to be for God's definition and provision of a path forward? Sometimes the answer to this question seems counterintuitive to our finite minds. You want me to do what? You want me to step into uncertainty? You, you won't. Well, and that's why, again, it's why I say that is wise risk-taking. It's not impulsive, just flying out of there with no faith whatsoever or misplaced faith. And so the question to answer, it does, it does seem counterintuitive to our finite minds. How can an attempt at water walking be better than staying on the boat? Do you hear the counterintuitiveness of that question? Walking on water is better then staying on the boat? Well, to answer that question, I would ask you to ask Peter. Here's another counterintuitive idea that strains our minds. How can a man dying on a cross be better than that man saving his life? I would ask you to ask Christ as far as the answer to that question. And you know, as you've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that that perplexed both the Jew and the Greek. It was foolishness to them. Here's another question. How can rejecting the world be better than enjoying the world's fruits? This is a temptation for all of us. The fruit of the world is tempting and it is enjoyable for a season, but how can rejecting that be better? Well, I would refer you to ask your question of a mature Christian. Find a mature Christian and ask them why rejecting the world is better than enjoying the world's fruits. The next time you are in what appears to be an impossible situation, think less about yourself and what you're losing and more about God and what you gain by trusting and resting in Him. Fear is the second all-time counseling problem as it pertains to heart idolatry. 
The first all-time counseling problem, obviously, is unbelief. And unbelief, well, it feeds our fears. And so if you are walking in unbelief, the next thing that's going to happen to you is fear. You see the crippling effect of fear in the Garden of Eden. Whenever we choose to believe a lie instead of the truth, the inevitable sin consequence of our unbelief will be fear. And as you read the story in Genesis 3, you see that. It reads like this, Genesis 3, 6, and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Do you see what just happened here? They chose to unbelieve, and when they chose to unbelieve, their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked, and they began to hide. They began to fear. Fear is the second all-time counseling problem. The first is unbelief, and unbelief will always feed fears. Adam and Eve knew they chose a lie, and the consequence of their unbelief was to fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Or other synonyms for faith or belief and trust and confidence. I'm talking about God-centered confidence, not self-confidence. And so fear is the opposite of faith. The solution for a person who is struggling with fearfulness is to exercise faith in God. And that is exactly what Peter did on that night. I talked about a cluster of sin issues that interfere with your walk with God. They are self-sufficiency and control and comfort. Peter was comfortable and in control of his situation while on his boat of self-sufficiency. But because God is a jealous God, he cannot allow his children to rest in their carefully constructed self-sufficient universes of idolatry. To break up Peter's cluster of idols, Christ called him out of his boat of self-reliance to show him someone better to trust. And shortly after Peter believed the Savior by stepping out of the boat, he began to fear again. His old nemesis came back in force. It's instructive to know that when you do show faith in God, the temptation to fear will resurface as you realize that you're no longer in ultimate control of the situation. This truth is why you want to emulate Peter by asking the most critical question that you could ask, Lord, is that you? As I said, before you step out into your uncertainty, you do want to ask this question. You have to know. Biblical faith is in a person, not your circumstances, not your hopeful outcome. You must know that it is the Lord calling you to do the impossible. And that's why that word come, that Christ came, that he gave it's interesting that he would give a monosyllabic answer to his question, Lord, is that you? Come. That was it. Nothing more. One word, one syllable. Sadly, God's children, and that would most definitely include me, require more from him than something akin to a teenager's grunt. 
rather than having faith in God and in his word, even as limited or as short as his word may be, we want to have faith in our faith. To have faith in our faith, we need more information. But God did not budge that night on the sea. He said nothing more than, come. You know, when discipling folks, I suggest to them that the gospel is the solution to their struggles, and many times they have a similar response. Well, great for the gospel, but the gospel's not enough. I need more. They want more than that. They want real answers. In Paul's day, he encountered the same thing. You read this in 1 Corinthians 1. I mentioned it earlier. He said, we preach Christ crucified, the gospel, a stumbling block to the Jews and fondly to the Gentiles. But to those who called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The gospel is enough. Do you believe the gospel? You don't want to fall for the trap of having faith in your faith, meaning you have all the answers and you know the outcome. If I knew exactly, oh, well, let's go back to that dark and stormy night. Let's say that I was on the boat or you were on the boat. And Jesus came walking on the water, and he said, uh, I want you to come out here. And you say, Lord, is that you? And, you know, I, I need more than just faith in you. I need faith in my faith. So tell me how this is going to go. And then the Lord says, well, this is how it's going to go. You're going to get out of the boat. You're going to walk for a little bit. You're going to begin to sink. You're going to cry out. I'm going to reach out my hand. I'm going to lift you up. We're going to get back on the boat, and everything is going to be okay. Even 30 years from now, you will tell this story Okay, I'll do it. That's what I mean by having faith in your faith. I have faith in the known outcome. My faith is resting in my faith, not in a person. Is God enough? Is God's gospel enough? Now, I understand the struggle. The gospel does not seem like it's enough to solve our problems. I mean, it might be the power of God's salvation. I get that, as Paul said in 116 of Romans. But let's be realistic. I need something practical. Yes, yes, I, I know. I do understand. We must be practical. Read my lips. Listen to my words. We must be practical. But before that, may I suggest that you began with trusting the goodness of God which is a vital aspect of the gospel, meaning only a good God would give so much, his son, for our benefit. And if he is willing to give his only son for your salvation, don't you believe that he will take care of you? Uh, that has to be your presupposition. That has to be your starting point. The gospel has to be enough in that way. We can get practical later, but your faith has to be in a person, not faith in your faith. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. The title of it is The Necessity and Danger of Wise Risk-Taking. Here are a few questions that I would love for you to think about. Number one, how does the goodness of God inform and control your thoughts daily? They should bring shalom, a togetherness. Shalom, peace, 
communicates the idea of being together, not being broken apart, like a wall broken apart. And so how does the goodness of God, as you see in the gospel, inform and control your thoughts daily? Go back to that boat. If you're sitting on that boat and you are settled in the gospel and the gospel is informing your thoughts, then when the adversity comes into your life, when Peter, uh, when Jesus comes across the water and asks you to get out, think about where your starting point is. Your starting point is in the gospel. You began from a place of shalom, togetherness, completeness, wholeness, peace. How does the goodness of God, as you see in the gospel, inform and control your thoughts daily? Number two, how does the gospel settle your soul as you prepare to step out of your boat to walk with Jesus Again, this is a presuppositional issue. Is the gospel good enough? That has to be your starting point because if it's not, you're going to begin from a point of fear and it's going to go badly from that point. Number three, do you see the necessity and the danger of wise risk-taking? And because the gospel manages you in the practical matters of life, you're able to rest even when it's a dark and stormy night. Yeah, it is necessity. It is a necessity, and truly, it is dangerous. Number four, how do you need to respond to this podcast as it pertains to the idols of self-reliance, control, comfort, fear, unbelief? That's the sin constellation that keeps us on our boats and will keep us from stepping into uncertainty. Thank you for listening to the podcast, The Necessity and Danger of Wise Risk-Taking. If you want to talk, come to our website, and let's do that. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.